0: Hello, everyone. My name is Rob Osell, filling in for Tracy Lee for another episode in our series about engineering leadership. Today, I am here with Dr. Joy Purser, the global lead in the field of cybersecurity at Veritas Technologies. Uh, Dr. Purser, how are you doing today? I'm doing well,
1: Rob. How are you? I'm doing
0: great. Well, listen, we're so excited to be here today to talk to you about uh, leadership in cybersecurity. But to first kind of get us going, can you introduce yourself and kind of your role and and how you kind of got into this field?
1: Sure. I am informally the field CISO at Veritas. Veritas Technologies is a software company that delivers data backup systems. And it has been around for a long time and really is a global leader in the ability to backup and restore data, which has become very important in the world of cybersecurity. And as the field CISO, it's my role to travel globally and talk with customers, other CISOs about their concerns about all things cybersecurity. And and also talk to our salespeople and our engineers to reflect back the voice of the customer and to help them identify what are these top concerns? What are the over the horizon threats in the world of cybersecurity? Um, Before that, I was at CISA, which is the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency for the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. I was a senior executive in U.S. Region 4, which is the southeastern United States, um, the eight states that range from Mississippi all the way up to North Carolina, Kentucky, and Florida. And before that, I had roles at the Pentagon for nine years where I was auditing multi billion dollar IT systems. And also, I was in the White House at the Office of Management and Budget, where I reviewed the $93 billion Department of Defense research budget request to search for alignment with the national security staff on all manner of research and development technologies for the Defense Department. So I really do have quite a a checkered past when it comes to my experiences. And I think that that Really empowers me to do well in my role in seeing over the horizon threats for Veritas.
0: That's wonderful, and you know, some people may know this if they've listened to some of these series. That I used to be a government contracting, uh, used to be in government contracting as well, and I I find that that is something that a lot of people that maybe came up in the Silicon Valley uh, side of tech don't have a lot of exposure to. So I guess for people that haven't had these kind of experiences working kind of in the government side, are, are there any kind of uh, experiences you've had or impressions that you think people maybe get wrong when they think about what it means to work with or work in the government in the area of technology?
1: Well, you know what's interesting is that since there've been so many attacks on the private sector, a lot of Silicon Valley has hoovered up people like me who have defense or military backgrounds because they are under attack and they've got to be able to build up their security. And so I've seen a trend over the past five years of tech really muscling up when it comes to security on behalf of their customers and businesses doing it as well. In terms of the government and industry standpoint, you know, you really have to go to the foundational motivators for each. You know, the government is funded by taxpayer dollars for public missions, right? So the Defense Department is to protect U.S. interest in the security of the United States. Um, for Homeland Security is to protect the homeland um, from threats. Um, when it comes to industry, of course, the bottom line is about making money. However, the the motivation is to deliver a product or a service that's so valuable that it solves a problem for the customer. And it's so important of a problem or an issue that the customer will part with their hard earned money in order to partnership, to partner. So that's the way I think of working in the private sector is really we are problem solvers. And our solution is valuable enough that, that customers will part with their money to be able to, to help you know, ha- take part in that solution.
0: What do you think is motivating sort of this awakening, if you can call it that, in the private sector as far as um, trying to grab more of this cybersecurity uh, talent? Is it is it that the threats are so much stronger? Is it that the stakes are so much higher? Or is it just becoming aware of how critical and important and large some of these systems and companies are to just how we live life every day?
1: the global pandemic resulted in a lot of people working from home. And that presented a huge opportunity for cyber criminals to do bad things. And they earned a lot of money through being paid ransom. And they built more sophisticated and complex teams with specialists. You know, there are specialists in the ransomware world who are and some of these are like kids who are specialists in the social engineering part of getting into the system through crafting an email that looks so real, you know, that it could be from the CEO. Oh, I'm going to, there's an urgency here. So I'm going to click this link. And so I do believe that since the pandemic and maybe a little bit before we've seen a, a turning point in which there have been so many attacks on the private sector. And when it comes to critical infrastructure, like, the electric grid, water systems, banking and financial services, communication systems, Um, lives could be lost if there's a cyber disruption, right? And so on behalf of, you know, the companies themselves and all of their vendors, you know, all of their business partners, they've really had to, to wake up to what those risks are. You know, I was, I was at CISO when Colonial Pipeline happened. And that really was a turning point in terms of attacks on U.S. critical infrastructure. You know, that's a major fuel pipeline that stretches from Texas all the way up to the mid-Atlantic. And there was panic buying because Colonial chose to shut down the fuel coming through that pipeline in an abundance of caution. But it just goes to show how much things have changed in terms of, Uh, threat actors attacking private infrastructure and how that continues to evolve. Tell me a little bit about
0: what it's like working with cybersecurity people on your team. I mean, just like, is there a sense of that? Like, I know, you know, that I have some relatives that work in security uh, space and and I've heard stories of others that they're, you know, colorful people that have to kind of see the world in a different way. Uh, so I'm kind of curious if you could let us know a little bit of the unique challenges of building a team uh, of of people that are focused on the issue of security.
1: Sure. Well, first, I'll start out by saying that security people never relax on the Friday before a holiday weekend. And here we are close to the holidays for the year. And, you know, the week of Thanksgiving in the Wednesday afternoon before the Thursday of Thanksgiving is a terrible time for cybersecurity people because that is very often the time you can count on it that there will be a major attack. And as we've seen, that has come to fruition. You know, uh, global news outlets have reported on some significant breaches for, you know, a water system, um, banks. I mean, you name it, healthcare, hospitals, ambulances being rerouted. Because of a hacker, it's crazy. Oh, no. So you know, nearly every sector has been impacted. and so so that's one thing is the discomfort. You know, we talked earlier about having comfort about something. and security people are never comfortable. I had a coworker, um, teams chat me early in my tenure at Veritas. And he and I are in different time zones. And he chatted me at about 10 or 11 o'clock my time, which was much earlier his time. And he said, by the way, what are your working hours? And (laughs) I I was reclining about to go to sleep. And I said, security people kind of work all the time. We're never off. You never turn it off because um, there's always a new threat. There's always news. And you have to stay on top of it. And you have to love it. You have to have passion for the subject area. So that's another thing is security culture, people are always monitoring what's new. They're always skeptical, and they're problem solvers who don't mind being out of their comfort zone.
0: Wonderful. Well, we are going to jump right back into this conversation. But before we do that, let's take a brief moment to acknowledge today's sponsor, This.Labs. This.Labs is a development consultancy that is trusted by top industry companies, including Stripe, Zero, Wikimedia, DocuSign, and Twilio. This Dot takes a hands on approach by providing tailored development strategies to help you approach your most pressing challenges with clarity and confidence. Whether it's bridging the gap between business and technology or modernizing legacy systems, you'll find a breadth of experience and knowledge you need. Check out how This Dot Labs can empower your tech journey at this.co. That's thisdot.co. That's T H I S D O C-O. And of course, thank you to this Dot for giving me the opportunity to have these conversations. And with that, let's jump back in. So, Dr. Prusa, just before we were going to that break, we were sort of talking about what it takes um, to build a team. Of you know, what what are security uh, individuals and, and people working in the field like? But I think you know you described a situation that can be fast paced, that is a little irregular, that is high stakes, but yet I'm assuming has to be very rewarding um, when it's when it's working well. So, in a high functioning team when they look to that leader, what are some of the elements of leadership that are apparent in someone that is a great security leader?
1: Well, as you know, leadership requires a lot of skills and strengths, but for security leadership in particular, I will call out three. One is vision, two is adaptability, and three is emotional intelligence. And I can expound on any of those. I don't know if you have a favorite, Rob.
0: (laughs) Well, there's definitely some that stand out to me, but it's okay to start with the top. So with the idea of vision, are we talking here just a vision of how people could, um, you know, make attacks on a system or, you know, the ways to be vigilant or what does vision mean in this context?
1: Well, I'll give you an example. So when Veritas hired me, to be the field CISO, the leader of cybersecurity for our field. No one had occupied that role before. And I do believe that it's an emerging role that has risen from an industry pain point in which customers have questions about cybersecurity. And they need someone who has gravitas and broad expertise so that they can answer all manner of cybersecurity questions. And so having that vision for what that role would be was mine. And so Veritas had certainly had ideas, great ideas of what the role should be. And so I helped to fill in a good bit of that because of my experience in cybersecurity and in field operations, which I had led at the Department of Homeland Security prior. So that vision is really important because oftentimes security people are plowing new rows in the field of security, and they need to have a direction of where they're going, and it needs to be informed about the field itself. So you have to have that vision to be able to bring people along towards your plan, right? And and being able to articulate that vision, why it's important to the organization. I think it's really important for leadership in particular for the leadership in the world of security.
0: What is the hardest part of selling that vision in security? You know, is it is it that people don't want to put in the effort? Is it that they're afraid of the costs or they don't trust that it can lead there? Like what, what is the hardest part in security of selling that vision that, that you have?
1: Security is costly. So if, if it's a business, it's definitely an investment or a cost to the business. You know, you want it, To enable the business. And usually that's through risk mitigation and that costs money. So if you're the chief information security officer for your business, it's always a struggle because there's no perfect security. Even if you spend as much money as you wanted, you'd still not have, you know, an impenetrable attack surface. Mm -hmm. So security has a cost. And so you really have to be able to talk about why the investment is important, and how much is enough, frankly.
0: I suppose that is a challenge, right? Is that a lot of people, even senior leaders, sometimes don't have the the right mindset to handle risk. They see it as like either we're completely open to attack or we're completely closed to attack. And it's, it's hard to understand how you took something from, say, very risky to less risky and fully compensate that, you know, they don't feel secure unless they know there's no chance of something happening. Right. Like that's got to be a difficult part is helping other leaders on your team or your organization at large kind of understand that there is differences in gradients of risk.
1: Well, I told you before that I worked with the military, which is you know, a very structured, very low risk tolerance, low tolerance for risk. And that I've also worked with a lot of banking and financial services customers. Very similar, very low risk tolerance, very highly regulated, lots of compliance pressure. You know, if they don't do these audits or these reports, they have to pay big money. So they tend to have a really great risk management program. Risk is such a central term in the world of security because risk is a factor of likelihood, and impact. So if you and I had been sitting here 10 years ago and talking about the risk of a global pandemic, which I'm sure plenty of federal agencies globally (laughs) have, we would say, yes, really high impact. Likelihood? Nah, once a hundred years. So we're going to score that pretty low. Well, we all know what's happened. So having these risk management programs means each of the divisions has an annual or even quarterly assessment of what are the top risks? Are they aging IT infrastructure? You know, is it is it patch management? Is it uh, training for people? Uh, you know, do we need to move from on-prem to the cloud in terms of the storage of our data? That's expensive. Um, could it be a workforce where many people are going to retire? And so you're going to have a skills gap that's looming. There can be all kinds of risks. And... Banking and financial services has a really good program for just talking about those and scoring them. And then at the end of the day, rolling all that up to look for patterns or trends that really do need to be addressed at the highest levels of leadership in those, in those companies.
0: Wonderful. Well, the second topic that you brought up was adaptability. And you've already sort of introduced to us this idea that uh, you have to be kind of prepared for flexible work hours and anything that could happen. Uh, Security is an adversarial uh, endeavor, after all. But uh, what are the principal elements of adaptability that are found in great leaders in the area of security?
1: Adapting to change, of course, means getting out of your comfort zone. And that's through the acquisition of new skills, new certifications, new experiences, building things that you've not built before, being on teams that you're not familiar with, Um, applying new practices or technologies or techniques that may be unfamiliar. So a year ago, I crammed for the CISP certification exam. You may know that CISP is the gold standard in cybersecurity, and it's certified information system security professional. And it's a really, really hard exam, really hard. It's like a four-hour exam. And... (laughs) And I didn't know if I would pass, to be honest with you. I've had lots of security training, but there are some things like cryptography. And I mean, Mm -hmm. there are some specifics that just had to be memorized. There's no way around it. Multiple domains of cybersecurity. And I was really, really out of my comfort zone. But I do that. I go to seminars. I go to a regular seminar on blockchain technology that's near where I live because I really want to be out of that comfort zone and know what i'm not seeing what am i not exper- what are the blind spots here in my knowledge of of how the world of technology and security is evolving it changes so fast and so being able to adapt to those changes is of critical importance in security leadership
0: and i can imagine too that so much of security is this or of 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 sort of failing of an attack is that people get beyond your protections get beyond your facade. And this idea that you, know, you might like to feel comfortable, you already said in the security space, we don't really like to feel comfortable, but people may feel that. And so getting out of that comfort zone and being used to that kind of prepares you, I suppose, for the situations you might find yourself in where, oh no, somebody got through our processes or there was this disruption, letting yourself kind of be used to things being a little bit unsettled uh, is probably a good natural you know, uh, habit of people that are good leaders in this area.
1: Yes, and let me just say that we would like to be in our comfort zone. <laughs> I would prefer to be comfortable, but I know that threat actors in cybersecurity are always going to be just around the corner and doing something new. And the rewards of being able to successfully counter that are totally worth the discomfort. Let's
0: talk about the last one, which I think people, when they were listening to this, have been waiting for us to get to, because it may have been a little counterintuitive. I think emotional intelligence is certainly a quality of all great leaders, um, but in here, I think you're really calling out why this is uniquely special for leaders in security. So I was curious if you'd kind of explain why emotional intelligence is specifically important for leaders in security.
1: Yes, I think soft influencing skills are very important in the security community. Is it effective to tell a scary story or to present data? Who is your audience? So even during a meeting, sensing that someone isn't really buying into your idea and being able to be genuinely curious and humble about really digging down to the root cause of the resistance to change. That's emotional intelligence, reading the room, understanding your audience, being able to relate to people. So I think that's so important because security is usually asking for resources or it's usually demanding that people change or that they develop an awareness that's different and it's uncomfortable. And so being able to relate to others means that you've got to have the emotional intelligence or the ability to really observe the other person or the dynamics in the room or know the audience because how one would present to the C-suite is really different from the messaging and presentation style and length from the technical teams in engineering or to the customer. So being able to adapt uh, based on effectively reading the room and knowing the audience relating to a broad spectrum of people is super important, especially for security, because you do find yourself working throughout the organization. You know, you'll know, you be reporting to the leadership, but you'll also be talking with customers and with engineering. So that's an example of why it's important.
0: And that really resonates with me. That makes a lot of sense, because we talked just a couple of minutes ago about this idea of the facade. And I think that a lot of times people like to present outwardly the best image that they can. They want you to think everything is clean, everything is orderly, but behind the scenes, right? No matter what company or our our houses or our lives, outside of the view, things are a little messy. Got some dust hiding over here around the corner where you can't see it. And this idea that someone's coming in to inspect what we have and to scrutinize that has to be a very humbling sort of feeling of being like a bit exposed. And so I can see where emotional intelligence is kind of really important to not necessarily put people at ease, but to acknowledge or empathize with the discomfort that this kind of scrutiny would bring with it. Um, and so I, li- I love that as a way of, of, of uh, you know, being a good leader in this area.
1: I'll tell you what's even more disconcerting is the notion that organizations, security leaders need to be radically accountable and radically transparent with their teams. And these are not my words. This came from the cybersecurity and infrastructure security agency, multiple federal agencies published guidance in March of 2023 to software makers about, hey, you need to stop shifting the burden of security onto your customers. You need to develop your your software in a way that is secure by design, that you have the people and the processes and the technology tools in place to develop your products securely. That requires radical transparency and radical accountability. And so when I was new at, at my organization, I did some poking around and and so I, I had to manage new relationships with also I felt a need to know that um, that our processes were solid, right? That was very important for integrity. That's another key leadership attribute. But, but yes, it is uncomfortable, but it's very important.
0: I think uh, we're coming up pretty close here now, the end of our time, but we've spoken a lot in this conversation to leaders and potential leaders in the security space and, and mm-hmm. ways to think about organizing their teams and and uh, becoming more effective leaders in this space. But you have sort of mentioned that this is part of a, an awakening um, in industry, certainly. Maybe the government is, is well ahead of this, but an awakening in the industry in this security piece. So do you have any sort of thoughts at the end for companies that maybe haven't yet made this move, either because of feeling uncertain or feeling... Uh, insecure about going down this route as to what they should be thinking about and uh, whether or not they should be looking to find a, a security leader for their Sure.
1: So post-pandemic, the world has forever changed, right? I, I don't need to persuade anyone about the risks in the area of cybersecurity, what's at stake, understanding your most valuable assets and the best ways to protect them. A chief security officer is really important. And you notice I didn't say a chief information security officer. I said a chief security officer. I think the best organizations understand the nexus of physical security and cybersecurity, that they are forever intertwined now. Everything is digital, you know, the Internet of Things. And so I do believe that Silicon Valley's awakening is because of the new attack service in cybersecurity, which are private sector organizations, nonprofits, businesses, critical infrastructure, hospitals, casinos, the electric grid, water, transportation sector. You know, with this critical infrastructure, when something goes down in the physical or cyber world, lives can be lost. And so organizations just need to to take a risk-informed approach about what really is at risk um, of loss and then um, make their staffing decisions accordingly.
0: Well said, I, I, I love that idea. As we kind of close out here, can you let people know if they'd like to connect with you online or or find out more of your thoughts where they can find you?
1: Yes, you can find me on LinkedIn at Joy Purser, J-O-Y-E-P-U-R-S-E-R.
0: Well, that's great. Thank you so much. That's gonna be it for us today. Thank you to Dr. Purser for being our guest today. Thank you to each of you for uh, listening, and we hope to see you next time. As we close things out here, we'd like to thank our sponsor, This.Labs, one last time who would like us to let you know that they are trusted by top names like Meta, Google, and T-Mobile. This.Labs helps bridge the gap from business requirements to tech implementation. Whether you're modernizing legacy systems, ensuring sustainable application architecture, or seeking expert guidance, This.Labs has the experience to help. Discover more at this.co. Once again, that's T-H-I-S-D-O-T.co. Thanks, Dr. Purse. Thanks, everybody else. We'll see you all next time.
1: Okay, thanks.